and welcome to our service this morning. We're a bit wetter uh, than earlier in the week. But anyone watching online, you're very welcome also to join us in our service this morning. Um, I have a couple of wee announcements. Um, I just first of all, I'd like to thank everyone who was involved uh, in the coronation event. It was a, a very successful event last Monday with an estimated roughly 500 to 600 people attending. Some very good conversations, some really good connections. And uh, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. Giving up your bank holiday uh, to be involved last Monday, we really appreciate everybody's help and involvement. Uh, next Sunday evening, 21st of May, we're going to have like a little special event, something a wee bit different. Uh, we'll be combining Life Lounge uh, with our time of worship and prayer. And uh, it'll be led by some of the members of Waiting for Sophie. And together with, there'll be readings and prayers. And we hope this will be a really different and valuable time uh, for us together. So we hope you can join us at half past seven. Uh, you'll have received a leaflet today with your order of service, uh, just inside your order of service, giving us details of Samaritan's Purse and the work that they're doing and where their money goes to. And just want to thank everyone for their support of Samaritan's Purse uh, throughout the year, uh, especially with the, wee, the, the, the uh, shoe boxes. And on that, it's quite astonishing um, what they're covering, what they're doing. Um, so thank you very much for that. Please continue to support that. I just want to read, start off our service by reading Psalm 62, verse 1, just to settle our hearts before God this morning, um, just to calm our hearts. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. <coughs> He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall never be shaken. My soul finds rest in God alone. There are so many people who are trying to find rest in a busy life, in a demanding lifestyle, in uh, difficult financial times, trying to find rest. And here the psalmist says, I find rest in God alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who brings peace to our hearts. Lord, when we're running around, when we're frenzied, when we're busy, Lord, when we're tired, when we're frustrated, when we're disappointed, Lord, you're able to just take us and calm our hearts. And we ask for that peace that Paul talks about, a peace that passes all understanding, the peace that goes deeper in our souls than any man's words can go. And we ask for that this morning. We pray, cleanse our hearts. Forgive, Lord, when we've failed in the past days. And Lord, we pray that as we come to you, may we know your love amongst us. May we know your love in our hearts and your compassion for us. And may we worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing a wonderful old hymn, I Stand Amazed in the Presence of Jesus the Nazarene.
to invite Robert. Now he's going to come and read from Acts 4, verses 7 to 12. Yes, a reading from Acts 4, verses 7 to 12, and it's about Peter and John being brought before the Sanhedrin. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we have been called to count today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He, he is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Amen. 
Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Um, I'm going to ask Ben to come and do a, a family stroke children's address. Hello. Oh, that's good. You see that's really loud when I turn it on. Boys and girls, do you want to come join me up at the front? Don't know how many of you there are, but come on up. We've got the cozy seats. Oh, good. Good. I'm not completely alone. A few more of you? Oh, good. Good to see you, Daisy. Good morning. This is great. Come on ahead. Yes, get comfy. Get the good seat. Good, good. You got it quick. Come on, boys. Come ahead. Perfect. Okay, easy question to start with. Make sure you're listening, make sure you're awake. Put your hand up, boys and girls, if you know how to spell. Do you know how to spell words? Yeah, spelling? Yeah, a few of you, good, good. Because we're gonna do some spelling this morning. You didn't think you'd be in school, but here you are. I'm gonna spell a word, and each letter is gonna mean something slightly different. But as I go, I'm going to be testing you as we go. So you need to be listening. All right, you promise you're going to listen? Okay. First of all, the letter S. And today, S stands for SIN, S-I-N. Anyone know what that means? Oh, I'll give you a simple definition. SIN is when we disobey God, when we do what God doesn't want us to do. A bit like when we do what our parents tell us not to do. So what was S? Sin. Good, someone's listening. Next we have A. So S-A. And A today means angry. Now I'm sure you know what angry means. I'm sure you've been angry. Well, God, because of our sin, is angry with us. A bit like your parents, when you do something naughty, they might put you on the naughty step, and they might be angry at you. It's the same here. So what was S? Sin. What was A? Angry. Right. Next we have V. S-A-V. And V means, big word, you listening? Victory. Can you say that? Victory, perfect. And that's another word for winner. Okay, victory. So, although God was angry, he sent his son. Who's his son? Jesus. He sent Jesus. And Jesus went to this thing here. He went to the cross. We looked at that at Easter. And on the cross, God punished Jesus instead of us. The anger God had, he put it on Jesus instead of us. That's amazing. He gave us victory. So what was S? What was A? What was V? Victory. Next we have, there's two more, E. E. And I think the adults might know where we're going here. S-A-V-E. And E is ever after. Do you know at the end of movies when it says, and they lived happily ever after? Well, ever after just means forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and so on and so forth. Because when we truly believe what I just said, when we believe in Jesus, we get to live with him forever after in a perfect place called heaven. That's amazing. We get the love of God in heaven. So, what was S? Sin. What was A? Yeah. What was V? 
Victory. What was E? Ever after. And finally, D. Death. End on a happy note there. <laughs> All of us, believe it or not, boys and girls, will one day, sadly, die. All of us in here. And we can't believe that. And you know, before we die, we need to learn to believe in this. Because if God doesn't punish Jesus, then he must punish us in a nasty place called hell. And we don't want that. So what was S? Sin. What was A? What was V? What was E? Ever after. What was D? Death. S-A-V-E-D. What does that spell? Saved. And what are we here in our reading this morning? Jesus is the only name, the only name in the whole world by which we can be, can be saved. Yeah. Now, in the short space of time I had, there's a lot more to it than that. But, to sum up, Jesus saved us from God's punishment and also saves us to be with him forever. He is the name by which we are saved. Let me pray for you here quickly, and then we're going to sing a song. Uh, Father God, I thank you for these dearly beloved children and their mums and dads, grannies and granddads, and everyone here this morning with their head bowed. And I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, that even though you were angry with us, that you sent him, that if any of us truly believe in him, that we may be saved. And I pray that we can remember today what that means. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, boys and girls. We're going to sing now. Okay, boys and girls, we're going to sing God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. Okay, do you want to stand up? Next week.
Bye-bye. Now your offering is going to be received and uh, it'll, uh, it'll be collected under the uh, song, His Mercy is More. And if, you, if you're getting the gist of this, today's theme is salvation and that no matter where we've been, what we've done, Praise we have God's mercy is much more. Okay, that wasn't me, but honestly. <laughs> Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We sang those words, Lord, you're good, good to us, good to me. God, we thank you that you've blessed this congregation and that you are a good God. And Father, we just, we love your mercy. We love your grace. Lord, that we know that we do not deserve uh, to be in a relationship with you. We do not deserve heaven. Father, we deserve your judgment, but because of your incredible love and your incredible mercy and your incredible grace, Lord, we can stand today in your presence through Jesus Christ and thank you. Lord, these offerings, Lord, are given to you for your service in this place and the extension of your kingdom in this place, in this community, and wherever you would have us go in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd be a, a big fan of wildlife programs, especially David Attenborough ones. And uh, a number of years ago, I was just sitting and I was watching um, 
uh, one of his programs in, in the deserts of Africa, and uh, suddenly he started to talk about this resurrection plant. It showed this plant just blowing over the sand for quite a distance. And I was amazed when he said that this plant can be dead for a hundred years, but all it needs is a little bit of light rain, and suddenly it comes to life, and the flowers start to bloom on it very, very quickly. After a hundred years, and I thought to myself, well, may God's Spirit rain upon us and upon our churches and upon the Ballycrocken Church. Just a light Spirit of God rain upon us and uh, to bring about more life and more life in this place. So I wanted today to, I've prayed this prayer with you before, but I like to do it um, yeah, maybe a few times a year. It's praying for our city. Um, and now Bangor's a city. We're included in that. Uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 7, we're told to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. We're told, pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So let's just pray. We're praying for God's Spirit, God's reign to come down upon this city and upon Ballycrocken, and the people's lives might be changed, transformed, that they might receive hope, that they might know the Savior. Let's pray. Father, as we meet together here at Ballycrocken Presbyterian Church, we ask that you may move among us in days, weeks, years to come. Prepare us for revival. Father, prepare us for revival within our own hearts and within Bangor. Each minister, each elder, each member of our congregation, may our heart's desire be only you. Move within our hearts, we pray. We ask that you bring a deep conviction of sin, a new and clear awareness of how we have offended you, a genuine repentance in our hearts. Show us our wrong motives. Show us our wrong priorities and give us a spiritual brokenness and recognition that our own resources are not enough and that it's not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit. We pray, God, for a spiritual awakening within our hearts. Kindle a new fire within our souls. Increase our faith to a new level of greater expectancy. Increase the hunger in our souls to seek your face in prayer and put within us a hunger for seeing answers and breakthroughs come as a result of prayer. You have all dominion above all principalities and powers. Help us under the leading of your Spirit to tap into such resources. Give us, Father, a burden for the lost, a burden for souls, and a passion to see people saved. Share your heart with us. Show us how you see those family members, those friends, those neighbors, members of the congregation, perhaps you're still outside the kingdom of God. Engrave their names on our hearts and help us to wrestle in prayer 
until we see breakthrough. Move within our hearts, we pray. Pour out your Spirit upon us and upon this land of ours, this desert land of ours, this land of spiritual wilderness. May it once again be hungry for your presence. Do a new thing in Bangor. Give us back the years that the locust has eaten in this city. Draw us closer to you that you may draw closer to us. Make our churches significant in such a secular society, a society which has many problems, but which offers very few answers. Make us light, make us salt, make us Christ-centered. Give us strength for each day and wisdom for each task. Guide us in all we do and say, and in years to come may our church see the fruit of our faithful sowing. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. And we're going to sing another very reflective hymn about Christ on the cross and the love that he showed. It's And Can It Be.
like to read uh, from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 17 this week, uh, continuing our series on spiritual warfare and the armor of God. And uh, I was really encouraged yesterday morning at the breakfast, men's fellowship breakfast. James Burnett came uh, from principal of Belfast Bible College. He spoke here at Morell's service that day. And he spoke on military tactics. He spoke uh, about how when we're in our deepest need, God's grace comes upon us, and that's how we grow spiritually. That when in difficult times and we're pushed to our limits, God's grace is poured out upon us, and we grow that way. And so I was really encouraged that he was sort of on the same topic. Uh, So maybe God's trying to tell us something that we need to connect with this uh, spiritual warfare and be prepared with a good armor of God upon us. So verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For a struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, and the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And this is God's Word. I wonder, um, let's put the wee slides on. I wonder how important is hope in your life? Where would you rate it? There's a man called Viktor Frankl. He was an Austrian psychiatrist, and he was also a Jew. And just before the war, when it looked like a war was coming, he was invited to come to America and to take up a job there in safety. But he felt, being the patriot that he was, that he needed to stay in his own country. Well, he was arrested and he was sent to Auschwitz concentration camp. His wife died there. His mother and father died there, but he survived. And when he was in the concentration camp, he found that those of his fellow Jews who had lost hope died. Whereas there was a group who, after uh, everyone had gone to bed, they would sit and chat together chat about what they were going to do when they left outfits, chat about coming round to one another's homes, chat about what meals that they would make, what lovely food they would have. And Viktor Frankl, he found that hope kept these people alive. He specialized particularly in suicide. Why does someone commit suicide who's under the same amount of pressure as someone that doesn't commit suicide. Why does someone commit suicide? And he found that usually it wasn't the person's past 
that was the problem, but it was their lack of future, their lack of hope. And when their hope died, somehow inside they died also. It had a very different kind of approach to counseling people with suicide. You'd turn around to them and he'd say, why don't you just go on and commit suicide? It's a strange type of counseling, but the answer to that question would give him the key in their li- to, to what they wanted, the hope in their lives. We keep a, a key to restoring hope in their lives. Some would say, well, it's because of my children. I won't commit suicide because I love my children, or I love my husband, or I love my wife, or there's talents I've got to use that I've never got to use yet. I want to use those talents. So he would find out what their hope was, no matter how small that hope was, and he'd try to fan that hope into flame. I think we greatly underestimate our need of hope. Paul talks about the helmet of salvation. Now, looking at the armor of God, we've, we've looked at the belt of truth, we've looked at the breastplate of righteousness, we've looked about putting the gospel shoes on our feet, and how all of those are meant to remain on us permanently. There's something that, that Paul talks about, this is what we have. But then last week we saw about the, uh, the shield of faith, and it's different. We have to take up the shield of faith. We have to put on the helmet of salvation. We have to lift up the sword of the Spirit and rush into battle. So here Paul, he's, when he's talking, though, about the helmet, that's what we want to look at this morning, the helmet of salvation. He's talking about protecting our heads, protecting our minds, our understanding. He's addressing the whole attitude of the mind. He's speaking to us about protecting our minds, particularly in general, not not specific things, but in general, weariness. Weariness, where you begin to submit to the feelings that this battle is too hard. You feel discouraged. You may even be thinking of of calling it a day and, and, and just going back to how you lived before you first trusted Christ. You're weary, you're tired, the battle's difficult. And he wants us to try and put on the the helmet of salvation to guard our minds by submitting to those types of feelings. You know, I was thinking about um, the guys, the soldiers that fought in the trenches in France during the war, and how they fought, and usually the nighttime fights were brutal. And then, for what? A few feet. They moved forward a few feet. And how they must have felt so discouraged. And maybe you feel, you know, I've been a Christian a long time, and I've started off, it's been a fight, it's been a struggle, I'm still fighting it, and I'm feeling weary, and I'm feeling like giving up the whole thing. And Paul would say, put on the helmet of salvation. Protect your mind from such thoughts when you're weary. Allow the hope of your salvation, the hope of your salvation, to protect your mind. The reason I believe, and Paul's referring to the helmet of salvation here as our hope of salvation, is because he mentions it elsewhere more specifically. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8, 
But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. This morning, if you feel battle-weary, please be assured and comforted that you are not alone. Most of us, if not all of us, will feel that way at some time, where the pressure of life, the busyness of life, living amongst the details of our lives, we easily forget where we're destined for the hope of our salvation, where God is leading us to. In fact, if you want to read for yourself sometime the book, the letter to the Hebrews, the people for whom this letter is written, they're in such a state of weariness. They're weary. They're Jews. They've come to faith in Christ. It started well, but they've been getting persecuted by the, their fellow Jews, and now by the Gentiles, the non-Jews. They've been told Jesus will return, but, but where is he? They're discouraged. Some begin to look back to their past lives and wonder, maybe I shouldn't have become a Christian at all. Maybe I should have just stayed with Judaism. It, my life would have been easier. There would have been less of a struggle. In Hebrews 4, the writer is telling them, don't be like the children of Israel who walked around in the wilderness for 40 years discouraged. And the devil was busy saying to them, you'll never reach that land of Canaan, not in a month of Sundays. And they gave up. Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. Lie you the hope of salvation of what is to come. Allow that to dominate your thinking. Solomon gives similar advice in Proverbs. He says, guard your heart. Your heart involves your mind, your will, and your emotions. Guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. Like those Jews who sat talking about food in the future, where they'd live in the future, getting their old homes back in the future. That's where their focus was. And Viktor Frankl says it kept them alive. Look for your salvation to come. Keep your eyes on Christ. Let's have a look at what the Roman helmet entailed, what it was like. There were two types of helmets which the Roman soldier wore. One was made of leather. It was coated in metal plates. I think, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. It's Galea was the name of that helmet, and the other was made completely of metal. It was called the cassis, but they, they worked in the same way. The helmet had a band to protect the forehead, and plates for the cheeks, which they extended down then, down the back to protect the neck and down the side. So when the helmet was all strapped in place, you could just about see the eyes and the nose and the mouth. It was well protected. The helmets, due to their weight, they were lined with felt inside or sponge, Sometimes then there was a crest or a plume just for, as part of the uniform, no purpose in that. But virtually the only weapon that could penetrate a Roman soldier's helmet were hammers or axes. So this was a very vital piece of armor. And if you read the Old Testament, you'll find that as man turns his back on God and God wants to pour out his love on him, God wants to look after him. He's the apple of his eye. And man put, turns his back on God. And as that happens, man becomes a broken person. Man is lost. 
Man doesn't know what is right or wrong. Every man, we're told, does what is right in his own eyes. It's chaos. It's anarchy. Man is broken. He's lost. He turns on his back, his back on God, and the result is that he's in such a mess. So God puts the law in place to help him. He puts the sacrificial system in place for to help him. He, puts, he sends prophets to guide him. But there's nothing in the Old Testament which will actually fix the elephant in the room that will answer the question. The elephant in the room is sin. What do we do about our sin? Then there's a young man called Joseph in Nazareth. And he doesn't want to take Mary for his wife because she's pregnant and they're betrothed and he's having second thoughts and he's decided, no, well, just that's it, over. But then in a dream, God speaks to him about this child in Mary's womb. He says, this child is of God, it's not of man. And whenever this child is born, you'll call him Jesus. And Jesus basically means Savior, or he who will save his people from their sins. What a mission statement that is for Jesus, coming to save people from their sins. What are we going to do about our sin? Here is a little child who's going to be born, and he will save their people from their sins. I remember when I was an assistant in Second Cumber, the Reverend Roy Mackey, when I started there, he said to me, Mark, he says, some people get very uncomfortable about some Christian terms. So if you're going to speak about particular terms like born again or saved, terms like that, he says, explain what it means. So I want to take just a wee moment about to explain what it means about being saved when we're talking about being saved. There's a story about two Salvation Armies, quite a popular story. Two Salvation Army ladies, they saw an Anglican bishop and uh, assuming that he wasn't a Christian, made a judgment upon him, and assuming he wasn't a Christian, they went up to him and they said, excuse me, Bishop, are you saved? And he says, what do you mean? And they replied, well, are you a saved man? Uh, to which he replied, when you ask me, am I saved? Do you mean, was I saved? Do you mean, I'm being saved? Or do you mean, I will be saved? Are you referring to the past? Are you referring to the present? Or are you referring to the future? To which feeling out of their, he, he, to which they're very feeling out of their depths, they just said it doesn't matter, and they walked away. But the Anglican bishop was a godly Christian man, and he was right, because our salvation, according to Scripture, involves the past, it involves the present, and involves the future. For example, in the, with regards to the past, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. In other words, you can't do it. You can't earn it. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any of us should boast. It's all of God, you see. It's been done. When Jesus was on trial and he was executed, and he was hanging on the cross. He took my sin and your sin 
and you received his righteousness. He became a sinner, and you became pure in the sight of God. It is finished. It is done. So whenever we respond to him by faith and in repentance, then the check which was written back at Calvary is cashed in. In other words, it becomes real to you, and you are saved because of what he did in the past. There's nothing more you can do to be saved. He's done it. It's a gift. Now, that's, uh, so we're saved through his death, first of all, past tense. The theological term for this is justification. Now, the present, 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness. We've been talking about that the last couple of weeks. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To us who are, us who are being saved, present tense, continuous tense. In other words, salvation is a process. We are being saved. God's power is working in us to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ, taking away the impurities, rough, taking off the rough edges. He's moving in our lives. Romans 5, verse 10, Paul talks about, you know, if we have been reconciled with God in the past through his death, how much more through his life are we reconciled? present tense, we're being saved through his life. And then the future, the hour, Romans 13, 11, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Nearer implies our salvation's not here yet. It's not here yet, but it's close. It's coming. It's not yet fulfilled. And there's a fullness of salvation we still haven't received. So Christ was sacrificed, one to take away the sins of many, Hebrews 9, 28, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. So that's the future tense. We'll be saved through his return, future tense. So our, our salvation, it involves the past. There's nothing more you can do. It was, Christ did it on the cross. It involves the present and what Christ is doing in our lives now to make us more like Christ, to save us from sin now, sanctification, and the future, we're going to receive the fulfillment of our salvation in the future. But which is Paul in this particular passage? Which is he preferring to? Well, I believe he's speaking of the future because Back to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. You know, hope, Paul writes, is that is seen is not hope. We are hoping for salvation in the future, to be fulfilled in the future. We're saved. We're being saved. We will know the fulfillment of that in the future. Now, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, if only of this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If this is all we have for the here and now, then we should be massively pitied. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, if we've got hope just for the present and not for the future, goodness, 
That's not hope. That's not much hope. That's not worth anything. He says, but Christ has been raised. So our hope of salvation is in the future. But you might wonder, what's this got to do with me? We look beyond our circumstances. We look to a God who is faithful, to a God who's raised Christ and likewise will raise us to be with himself. Paul is putting some sort of perspective on this. He's saying, no, no matter, and you need to hear this, no matter what comes your way, no matter how devastating, no matter how hurtful, no matter how painful, no matter how debilitating it is, nothing is bigger than the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 39, Paul writes, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. He even includes their principalities and powers. No matter how difficult the battle, no force of Satan can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Put on the helmet of salvation. You're not just here for the present. You're preparing for the future. Guard the mind from submitting to surrender. If you need rest, take rest, but don't give up the fight. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You're not here just for now. This is only small. This is small fry compared to what's in eternity waiting you there. So no matter how difficult it is, keep your eyes fixed. As Bruce Springsteen says, keep your eyes on the prize. We get so caught up with the details of our lives, with the busyness of our lives, with running here and running there, that we miss out what we're destined for. We forget about where we're heading and what Christ has for us. Paul, in his letter to Colossians, he says, set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Hebrews 12, the writer of the Hebrews says, let Jesus be your example. He says, looking onto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. The joy, Jesus when he was on the cross, Jesus when he was in the trial, Jesus when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, his mind and his attitude was focused on what's beyond the cross. Wasn't focusing on the pain, thinking beyond the cross, what's going to come beyond the cross. Generation after generation of people are going to come to faith in Christ. People 2,000 years from now, from me crying out here in pain, they're going to be in Ballycrock and worshiping, and some are going to be saved and going to be with me in heaven. Jesus said, or the Hebrew, writer of the Hebrew says, that's what Jesus was focusing on. What was beyond the cross? Put on the helmet of salvation. You know, I know it's very insignificant compared to what I've been talking about, but in, I used to be very nervous about exams when I was at school, and 
I used to stick up the calendar of all the exams that I had to do, and every time I'd come home after an exam, I'd tick it off, I'd tick it off, I'd tick it off, I'd tick it off. And I kept my eyes thinking, I kept my mind focused on the summer. There's a nice summer coming. Well, it's similar on a bigger scale than that. You know, Jesus wants us to stay the course. Keep your eyes on the prize. Whatever you've been through, whatever you're going through, whatever you'll go through, whatever pain, distress, discomfort, depression, whatever sense of loss that you feel will be massively, massively overshadowed by what God has in store for you. Put on the helmet of salvation, the hope of salvation. You know, I know and I understand that along our life's journey, we can be filled with doubts. Will I make it as a Christian to the end? Have I sinned too many times that I've lost my salvation? May I just assure you this morning that your salvation is about what God does, not about what you do. Your salvation is about God's grace, an undeserved favor that's given to you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. You cannot earn your salvation by performing well, and you cannot lose your salvation by performing badly. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Let me first of all say I'm very glad that you're here. And uh, I, I, I welcome you. We love to see you. You know, I don't know your history, nor do I want to know your history. Wherever you have been, wherever you have gone, Whatever you have done, salvation is open to you because it's a gift which is freely given. A gift which God desires for us to receive in realizing that we have fallen short of God's standards, as all of us have. There's not a person here that hasn't. But realizing our sin, we come in repentance that decision, repentance means a change of mind. We come in repentance, that decision to turn from sin, to turn to God. We come in faith and ask Jesus, I've messed up. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Jesus, forgive me and save me. And I guarantee you, 100%, he'll be delighted to do that. Jesus says in his very words, the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. But if you are that weary Christian and you're wondering, will I make it to the end? Let me remind you of your security in Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he began a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to finish what he started. Our eternal security is based not upon us clinging on to God, but upon God clinging on to us. 
and I will give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says, you're in my hand. But there's a double security, because he goes on to say, my Father has you in his hand as well, and no one can snatch you from our hands. I know whom I have believed, writes Paul to Timothy. Timothy was a wee bit of a weak personality, a wee bit of a doubter, a wee bit of a lacking in confidence. He needed encouragement from Paul a good bit, but he was a man of God. He said, but Paul just encouraged us. I know whom I believe it, and, I be- and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him till that day. Put on the helmet of salvation. Focus. Keep your eyes on the prize. No matter what you're going through, keep your eyes on the prize. As James was saying yesterday, when you're brought into a place of need, deep need, deeper than you've ever had before, you come to that place where God's grace is given to you, and that's how you grow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus came Lord, and Jesus died that we might have that hope of salvation, that whether we're being persecuted, whether we're going through illness, bereavement, loss of job, struggles, rejection, Lord, we have got to keep our eyes on the prize. We pray, God, help us to put that helmet of salvation upon our heads and in worship every day, focus our attention on you with our heart in heaven, and our feet firmly on the ground. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just going to finish with that mighty to save, uh, mighty to save. Come on, let's sing together. Salve!
chat about anything that we've been talking about today. If you'd like to trust in Christ, please don't leave this building without doing that. Okay? I'd only be too happy to speak to you. Because he is the best friend you could ever have. And he's the best saviour. He's the only saviour. Just want to, for the benediction, read from the little book of Jude, verse 24, 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.